Amen. All right. Thank you. Let's, let's begin with prayer, or let's continue with prayer. Music prayer, verbal prayer. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and how you've touched our lives. We're thankful, Father, that you are the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And Lord, we thank you that you know each of us by name. You know all the issues, all the things that are in our hearts this morning. You know the issues we face and the joys that we have. And God, we thank you for every good gift because we know it comes from you. And we trust you. We thank you, God, that in everything we do, it's for your glory. And when we fall short, we thank you so much for the grace that you've given to us, the forgiveness of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, who was raised from the grave, guaranteeing eternal life. And Lord, we look forward to reunions. We look forward, Father, to the future. We thank you on this Thanksgiving week, Lord, for who you are and what you do. And around the world, Lord God, we see trouble, but you see things so much more clearly. You know where the troubles lie. You know the sources. And Lord, we ultimately know that there are spiritual powers at work. And so, God, we come to you in prayer, and we ask your protection over your people. We pray, Lord God, your peace would reign on earth. We pray, Lord, that the light of Jesus Christ would shine and that we, too, with our brothers and sisters around the world, would be truthful to you, faithful, and also, Lord God, open our mouths that when we hear an opportunity, your spirit will touch our hearts and we will speak and the world can hear, receive, and believe the good news that we celebrate today for your glorious name's sake. In Jesus, amen. Let's stand and sing. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and give a sacrifice of praise. So let's give it all. Here we go.
created us to do, to be with you, and to worship you, and to love you, and to love one another. God, it's good to be here this morning, and we thank you, and just pray your Holy Spirit will uh, move in our hearts, Lord, through your word, and through song, and through testimony, and through the love that we have for you, Lord. We just thank you and praise you.
Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have a great name. It's not the literal name like we name our kids and grandkids and think of ourselves, Lord God, it's who you really are. And who you are, Lord God, is amazing. The things you know are endless. Your holiness is perfect. There is no sin or darkness in you. There is no evil inclination. There is no desire to destroy. But God, you want life to flourish. You gave Adam and Eve in the garden, Lord God, everything they needed for life and the freedom to choose, and they chose poorly. And God, there is sin and brokenness and death in the world. But we thank you that the hope is in your name, that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, there is a living hope. That Jesus, we know, Lord, is with us always till the end of this age. We know, Lord God, that when we pass away, we go to be with paradise, to be with you in paradise. We thank you, God, that we are who we are in Christ, brothers and sisters who you will never cast away. Lord, you are our source of comfort. You're our peace. You're our joy. Your grace and mercy have been revealed to us. Your love flows into us and through us. And Lord, we have challenges in our lives because, Lord God, we want to show the love of Jesus to the world around us that may not appreciate it. Help us, Lord God, to keep the mind of Christ. We pray now that you renew our minds, that we can truly live for Jesus and that the world can see the difference and the hope and the meaning and the purpose that Jesus brings. Eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Blessed to be a part of this for your glorious name's sake. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, the kids up through fifth grade are welcome to go down the hallway for Sunday school. If you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, Gabe and Rachel are, are out this morning. They're sick, so uh, you're sticking with us here in the sanctuary. So stick around. Um, I'd like to invite Brenda to make her way on up. She's got an announcement about our Thanksgiving offering this year. Thank you, too. Ron Riesinger will be here preaching next week. He's with the International Christian or InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and he's been out for quite a long time, so it's a real treat to, to get him to come, and we're really looking forward to his message on Noah that's coming up. Also, there's a Thanksgiving Eve service Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. What's the focus? It's a short service. We'll all kind of gather over here and cozy up. It's our chance to read a psalm together and rejoice in thanksgiving to God, and also we get to share our thanksgivings with each other and pray and thank God for that. So we hope if you're available, you'll come. Also, December the 2nd, we'll be redecorating the sanctuary, so it's a couple of weeks away. Um, I'm still not able to lift more than 15 pounds until about mid-December, the doctor tells me. So I need some extra help. If you've seen the rebarred uh, wreaths that go up on the wall, I'm not doing that this year. So... Um, if you want to help out, put that on your calendar. I also want to thank uh, Aaron Van Houten, doo -doo -doo -doo, right there in the prisoner's black and white pirate striped shirt. Um, he, he's the one that recognized that the parts that were broken uh, needed to be replaced, and the parts were still available, and it cost a whopping 100 bucks total to fix the whole thing instead of thousands of dollars. So, yeah, that felt really good. That, that put a smile on my face when I heard about it, and I can tell you you're just as delighted as I was. Also, the Christmas tree in the back there. Oh, by the way, there's a big team with him too, but I want to thank you particularly for recognizing the parts and getting it done. Um, the Christmas tree in the back as well has little green and red tags on it, and we've already taken one this morning. We decided to, go to help out a little girl. These are foster kids in our community. 
it says what they're interested in. Um, on the, when you take a card off the tree, write down on a piece of paper your name that goes with that number. And on the back, I think it tells you that those are due back here on the 10th of December at the latest. You can bring them in sooner. You can wrap them. You can put a card with it. You can put a message about Jesus in it. Uh, it's your chance to share Christ with the wider community, with kids you'll never even meet. But they are always super thankful to have them. And they're quite amazed, actually, that we do this. And so it's a re really good witness to uh, DHS and the kids and the families that have hosted them. Mm -hmm. Amy? Yeah, the tag goes on the gift. Mm -hmm. Right, so make sure you, you don't forget the tags. Okay, let me oh, get you microphone. Yeah, I'm gonna, while she's coming up. Um, I coordinate meals for folks that need meals uh, in the church. And we have a young family that just had a baby. And um, I know I do it all in online. Uh, it's called Take a Meal. But if you're uncomfortable using the online stuff or whatever, just give me a call and I'll sign you up and we'll, we can talk about it. Um, so my number's in the directory, uh, Jenny Martin. And if you guys uh, want to help out with uh, some meals coming up, that would be hunky-dory. And it's Monday, Wednesday? We're going to do Monday, Wednesday, yeah. Good morning. I guess I don't need to hold it quite that close. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, Lori Hutchinson, who's our representative with Love, Inc., was up here talking about the need for um, our non-food pantry items. And that care pantry serves a really huge purpose. Can you imagine? You don't have a job. You want a job, but you stink. And you know you stink. You don't have shampoo, you don't have laundry detergent, who's gonna hire you, right? So that's why the whole idea behind the care pantry came up. It's not just to give people stuff. We don't wanna just give people stuff. We really want to help them become who God wants them to be in every area of their life. So the pandemic's over, we're starting to offer classes um, we just finished a parenting class that Lori taught and I helped with a couple weeks ago. And to see lives change, to become who God wants them to be, that's what we want. It's great to do relief, it's great to do short-term stuff, but Teen Challenge, Love, Inc., those are places people can actually do heart change. So we need to feed people, we need to give them shampoo so that they don't smell. But we need so much more than that. So the Thanksgiving offering, we're thanking God that we have shampoo, that we have laundry detergent, that we can clean our windows. And so the Thanksgiving offering goes to Love, Inc. for the pantry this year. But don't think of it as just giving something short term. Think about how you can glorify God in this way. Um, it's not just Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving offering will go, but we have the ongoing um, box out here for all those hygiene and cleaning supplies that can make such a difference for people's lives. So I ask that you prayerfully consider what you can do for Thanksgiving and after so we can really help people get to know Christ and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. So. That's what it is, and I'd like you to think about that and pray about that and see what God would have you do.
Awesome. Wonderful. I'd like to invite us to turn in our Bibles to Romans, chapter 12, verses 14 to 16. It's a short message this morning, um, but an important one, one that I think has a broader application than I could possibly even address. Once we understand what the principles are, I think we'll see how broad-ranging this is, because the majority of people that we're going to meet aren't believers in Jesus Christ, are they? Christian community is a minority community. So this portion of the book of Romans, Paul is bringing us a practical application in terms of how do we engage with sincere love for the community out there around us that doesn't yet believe in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday he talked about how we can love each other within the church with sincerity. Now he's talking more widely about the population in general Uh, Next week, like I said, Ron Riesinger will be here. He's preaching on Noah. If you want to read ahead of time, he's discovered some new things about that. I think it's, anyway, it's caught his eye and he's eager to share. And then the following Sunday, the first Sunday in Advent, we'll go back to the passage that follows this that finishes off chapter 12. And it's how do we deal with our adversaries? People that aren't simply neutral or, hey, that's great for you, love you, you're a wonderful person. These are the people that are adversarial and seek to be like antichrists to destroy what it is that we believe in or or suppress us. So that'll be the third one in a series here that Paul is bringing out in chapter 12. For now, though, just generally, let's look at what Paul says in a very brief way that renews our minds that we can live into the love of Jesus Christ expressed in the world around us. Verses 14 to 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Heavenly Father, short stretch, vast meaning. We pray that your Holy Spirit truly guide us. Lord, not just simply with understanding, but God, help us to understand how to apply it. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the people around us that we needn't form our own little world, our safe enclaves, that we wouldn't just cozy up to people that we like better, that have more in relationship to who we are and what we like in our common interests. Lord, help us to engage the love of Jesus with the wider world around us. And that's not always easy, Lord. We need your help to do it. We pray your Holy Spirit truly equip us and inspire us and enable us, Lord God, to live out the love of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So in your outlines there, the, the first point, and finally now we got the overhead, so this will be a helpful, helpful hand here. The first point is, I will speak well of my persecutors. How many of us can speak well of those who persecute us? It's a tough task. You can. We can, and we should. But innately, we want to be a little bit defensive, maybe. After all, they're on top of us. They're trying to get at us. They're trying to push back. And Paul says, those that persecute you in some minor way or some significant way, Paul says we should seek to bless them. And we'll look at what that means. Bless is an imperative verb. It's not a suggestion. When Paul says bless, it's really a commandment. 
and not just a nice thing to do, a neighborly thing to do, the proper thing to do. It's the only thing to do to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It's not selective. It's not circumstantial, is it? It is not conditional. It's strictly a commandment. It's the right thing to do. And why is it the right thing to do? What occurs to you? Why would this be the right response to those who persecute us? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus responded with the positives. Now, he did call, did call right and wrong for what it was. He didn't sugarcoat anything. But at the same time, he had an innate love for every single person that he ran across. And he spoke for their good. He would bless them in a way that would bring them closer to a relationship with the living God, right? And to find salvation. This is what Paul, Paul does here in reiterating what Jesus' life was like. It's not on a personal level, or it is rather on a personal level, let's get this straight, not a civil court legal level. Next, in a couple of weeks when we get to the third section on how to deal with those who are trying to suppress or antagonize or destroy our faith, these are the things that have a, a level of a court system. What Paul is talking about here is a personal response that you, as an individual, have faced some persecution of some kind, whether it's at work or in the family. I mean, how many of us have been through Thanksgiving or Christmases where there hasn't been just a few challenges, right? I've had challenges. I still remember relatives joking and laughing about Jesus and making fun of it. They're all Christians today. And, and I don't, that's a God thing, right? But I had to endure, and Jenny and I had to endure some of those moments. And in our hearts, we felt bad for them because they obviously didn't understand the gospel. But in the long run, God's Holy Spirit ministered to them. And it was our ability to bless those who said things that were hurtful that led, I think, to an open-hearted sense of, okay, God, what do you have to tell me? So you've got to look at the big, long view sometimes to endure these things. It's an imperative because it doesn't come easily or naturally. I think that's why Paul puts it in such strong terms. But, but what does it mean to bless somebody, really? When somebody sneezes, what do we say or sometimes say? God bless you. But what do we mean? I think we're just being polite. You know, if you look back, you do this, have some fun with it. Look back through ancient history. Where did this term, God bless you, come from? Well, there are several theories. One was the bubonic plague was rampant. And when someone sneezed, it was an early symptom that maybe they've got the bubonic plague. So the Christian community, with earnestness, not politeness, would literally pray, God bless you, because you could die. And frankly, I don't want to die either, so God bless you. Now, there's even another thought that the God bless you phrase goes back to the day where the people realized or thought that the air that you emitted meant that you lost some of your spirit. So you sneezed. Some of your spirit just escaped. So you would say, God bless you. You can only afford so much of that, right? You can look back. It's a very interesting origin. But the key piece in all of these is that it had a spiritual root and not just a polite phrase. But is that what Paul means? Then we also might say, we bless our dinner with thanksgiving. 
a prayer of thanks, right? God, thank you for this food. Not like the rhyme, you know, good God, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. I hope you don't hear that this Thanksgiving. I heard that once at a Thanksgiving in my family, and, and I heard it once, and it was so startling, that's why I can remember it. And it's like, wow, where'd that come from? Never heard that before. And that was literally the prayer at the table, and on we went. And I went, okay, whatever. Um, that person, by the way, has a terrific sense of humor. I think that's what they were trying to get to, but it wasn't quite a, a blessing at the table in my thinking. We also might say that a blessing is a consecration of something. We'll bless, we'll have a prayer for the building, we'll have a, pre, a prayer over a missionary, we'll have a prayer over an ordained minister, or something like that, or our elders and our deacons, which is coming up mid-month in December. Um, these are the things that we might think of as a blessing or just doing something nice for somebody. But the key word that Paul uses here gives us the word eulogy. What is a eulogy? You go to a funeral service and there's usually a moment, hopefully, I've not had it never happen, but a eulogy is to speak well of somebody. I still remember the, the I was reading a, a fact about someone's memorial service and the minister had the courage to talk very honestly about somebody who was a cantankerous, ornery, not very warm and fuzzy person and everybody knew it, and the last thing you want to do is to start off with a bunch of fuzzy lies, like what a wonderful person they were and we're never going to forget them. Instead, the guy started off and said, let's, let's just get this out in the open and done right up front. We all know he was an ornery, cantankerous, prickly person. But then you could go on to speak about the good things that you can share, right? That is a eulogy. And what Paul says is, eulogize to say something nice about those people who are causing you hurt. So instead of cursing them, let's say something nice about them. Now, what would that do? It's kind of like, good God, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. I was shocked. When we treat people who have an antagonistic attitude or a negative attitude or a sarcastic attitude about our faith, and we respond in kindness and we respond with words of blessing, words of eulogy, words that are positive, I think it's a little startling because we don't fight back. Not like that, right? And so I think that's what Paul is saying. It's for the sake of the gospel that we will find something worthy of praising in that person that we can highlight. And that is very different than what the world does. So what's the application? Bless those who persecute you. Say something nice about them. Praise them. Say, thank you for sharing that. Maybe you needed to hear uh, a persecuting word, <laughs> you know, for hypocritical or something. It's like, you know, thank you for revealing that to me. I've, I'm off kilter. I'm not living the life I want to live. I appreciate your remarks. I mean, something along those lines can be very humbling, but very good, and it might startle them right out of their shoes. And they might wonder, what is it in you that's so different? And that brings up Jesus. We also don't want to curse them. I think curse, well, to curse is to destroy, to ruin, and that's so antagonistic to the nature of God. God is into life and life-giving and good and not evil. And when we curse somebody, we're wishing them harm. You hurt me, I hope you get hurt back. And the words flow and the things that are said. And why do we even bother cursing? Why not just cut out all the curse words? 
Have you ever talked to somebody that you thought, you know, if you cut out all your curse words, you could say what you're trying to say in half the time? I've worked with them. I know them. I've had the past with them. And I thought to myself, please cut that out. We'll get done quicker. The meetings would be shorter, whatever it might be. Why are there curse words? Because there's power in them. As a nurse for all those years, I found it really fascinating when I worked in the nursing home at the beginning of my, my tenure in that, that field, I found it very fascinating that somebody could have a stroke and have all kinds of trouble finding words, but the curse words were never lost. And out they came. That is the strangest thing. And, and the nightmare, and they're all buried deep, deep, deep down in that psyche. And it's because of our Christian faith that we have a filter that says, I'm not letting those escape. But I've seen the filters removed by strokes, and out they fly. I still remember the Baptist pastor, probably the nicest soul on the planet, godly man, had a stroke, and the words you heard, he wasn't preaching anymore. <laughs> but that just, I, I get this impression that those words are so powerful and so deeply buried in our brains that they are all just lurking there. And a renewed mind doesn't want to curse anybody to hurt them in return. I think it's a little bit like witchcraft. We don't think of it that way. But why curse somebody unless you intend something by it? Marisa McDonald here at the church, um, she's now got a new house over by the hospital. It's really great. I'm ha we're all happy for her. She used to be a witch, and in that time period of her life, she told somebody how to pray for someone to break their leg, and that person's leg broke, and it scared her, and she became a Christian instead. How cool is that? Are, is there power, though, powers that are lying behind some of the things that we think are just frivolous or silly or superficial. Well, ask, ask Marisa if you see her. She'll tell you they're very real. These are the things that we don't want to do. We don't want to curse anybody. The words might be buried in our brain. We hear them all the time. Sometimes they leak out, but we don't want to hurt people. Right? We want to show the love of Jesus. Paul was simply saying what Jesus said, isn't he? Luke 6, Jesus says these words. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? What's so special about that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. In other words, we're called to be startling. We're called to be unusual. We're called to catch their attention. How do we do that? By being so different from the world around us that the people say, there's something strange about you, and I like it. I've tried to hurt you, and you've praised me. You found something positive to say about me. That actually feels good. And I think when they see the contrast between good and evil, the good and the bad, it, it, it brings a message to them. And this is what Jesus taught his disciples to do. And all Paul is saying is what Jesus said, reiterating it for us. So treat those who persecute us as we would a friend. 
I think that'll blow their mind and pray for their salvation and renewal. So what can help us do this? I mean, I know that I want to love everybody, but I do fall short sometimes. Have you, do you get cranky with some people? In your heart, you go, man, I don't know about that person. You know, there's, it's easy to do, right? It's easy to do. How many of us can remember all of our teachers' names? How many of you remember the good teachers' names, the ones that were really good? How many of you remember the really terrible teachers' names? More hands. I think there were more hands for the terrible teachers than there were the good teachers. You know, we all have those feelings. We all have those memories. We all have those experiences. We just need to come to grips with what's really going on, and I've got some ideas for us. And, and they're ideas that I take to heart for me. What can I do to renew my mind that when I'm in the, in the company of someone who kind of rubs me wrong or rubs me sideways or tries to rub me out, what can I do? Well, a couple of things. One, remember the real culprit is not the person that you're thinking of. The real culprit is demonic. That's what the Bible says. Look at what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What he's saying is, yes, you're looking at a real human being, and you have feelings about this. But what he's saying is, pray for them. Bless them. They need to be saved. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not the emptiness that they're trying to fill. They need Jesus. So how can we then startle them into a life quest of searching? Well, first we're going to pray. The Bible also says Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. They cannot see. They hear it. They might even understand it, but they don't get it. It doesn't transform them. Their minds are not renewed. So what can we do? We pray and we pray and we pray. We don't want to curse them. We want to pray for them. And that's, that's not an option. We have to remember what this is all about. When I'm praying for them, I'm not actually talking to them, am I? I'm talking to God who can deal with the things I can't, right? The spiritual forces, those dark spots. God can touch those. God's got the power. And so we pray. And that's why we bless. And I'm blessing in faith that God will transform their heart. I also know that counseling and civil justice are good, but only the Holy Spirit can drive out demons. Right? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Matthew 5.44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray, pray, pray. It's the only way they're going to change. Don't sugarcoat sin. Sin is a sin. Don't bless their sin. Don't say good things about their sin. Don't thank God for the sin. We don't want to do that, but we do want to praise them. And if you can't think of anything positive to say, what would your mother tell you? If you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. But I think in those circumstances, what are we going to do? We're going to pray. Right? We're going to pray. If, uh, if somebody hurts you, by the way, and you, you know, the call on an individual level is not to revenge, right? It's to love them, praise them, think positive about them, say something positive about them, look forward to their transformation in Jesus Christ the day they find salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're waiting, right? Not condemning. It's hard to live out 
but we'll do it. We'll do it because that's the love of God in our hearts. But what about the wider world? I'm going to talk a little bit later in a couple of weeks about the uh, role of the state. When Paul gets to Romans chapter 13, you get this weird shift. He starts talking about government. He's been talking about individual responses all through chapter 12. Then he leaps to the government. Why? Because he knows that we are vulnerable to abuse and murder and suppression and all kinds of things. But the government is the one that's supposed to keep evil in check. And in the United States, we've got a court system and things like this. So there are times where you must apply the system as it is to bring justice. And there are times where the system, the courts themselves, the government itself can't do this or was unwilling to do this. Then as a Christian, we must remember that in order to forgive those who hurt us, what are we actually doing? We're getting ourselves off the judge's bench and we're giving that case to God. There is no higher court. We're giving it to the righteous judge. I'm removing myself from that trial, putting my case before God, and entrusting my case to God. That makes it possible for me to forgive somebody because I'm not saying nothing happened. I'm not saying justice is unnecessary. What if they go on hurting other people? Did you know that um, scams and stuff like this now cost Americans $1 billion a year? You know the latest? Have you read the news? The latest, you've heard of AI, artificial intelligence? AI can pick up your voice, your intonations, and your cadence of your speech, and somebody can call your family member, and they will think it's you. They will think it's you. And they will say, they'll, they'll be crying, they'll plead for money, they'll say, please send money, I've lost whatever, I'm in jail, I'm in trouble, whatever, I need your help, my car is ruined, whatever it might be. And you are certain it's your son or your daughter or a relative. That's how good that is. And you can't catch them because they're not even in our country usually. Right? The money goes out a billion dollars last year from all those different scams. Be really careful. How do we then deal with people we cannot touch? How can we deal with the injustice when the perpetrators are overseas and they're untouchable? Well, the government, I don't know what the government's doing about it. I know they're thinking about it. But what we do is we lift this to the Lord in prayer who knows where these people are, who can reach every corner of the earth and say, God, and I... You guys have laughed before, but I call them my sickum prayers. God, go get them. Get them. Stop them. Give them Jesus. Transform their thoughts. Renew their minds. Give them a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. Prayer is so integral to who we are and what we can do. And I think sometimes when we want to take revenge, you know what we're not doing? We don't trust God. I mean, personal revenge. You hurt me, I'm hurting you back. You curse me, I'll curse you even more. That's saying God can't handle it. And I don't really care about their salvation. There's bigger fish to fry. You hurt me, I'm, I'm more important than God. I'm more important than their eternal life. We've got to renew our mind and say, okay, okay, I've got to stop 
thinking about just my hurt. I can't think of others. I can't avenge others. There is a place for police and military and court systems and all of that, and we'll look at that when we get to chapter 13. But for me personally, what is my primary concern? My concern is not me personally. My concern is their relationship with Jesus Christ. How can we do that? Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. And we'll look at nuances to this as the weeks go by, but I think that's a great starting point for us to remember. 1 Peter 2, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. <clears throat> no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see what happens? We can forgive and tolerate and deal with the hurts that we ourselves personally are enduring because we're giving that case to God. We know him, we trust him, justice will come. And prayerfully, their salvation. Second of all, I will be empathetic. I will be empathetic to show a, a genuine, sincere love for the world around us means that we're willing to engage in their lives, their emotional lives, their ups and their downs, their happy, their happy times, and then there's really sad times. And we're going to engage in that as needed. Like, for instance, in verse 14, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. In other words, we're willing to enter into their emotional experiences, engaging in their lives. It's interesting because there's no imperative here. There's no command. I think Paul just expects that as a believer in Jesus Christ with the love of God in our hearts, there should be some level of empathy that we have for the world around us. If they're hurting, even to some degree, and some will feel it more than others, I feel your pain. I, f I rejoice with you. These are people who are in the process of mourning or the process of rejoicing, the ongoing state of affairs, and we're going to participate and enter into their world. We won't try and make it all smiles and happy when they're crying and sad, but we'll be a comfort to them. It takes a lot of selflessness to do that. So what is this like? Well, it's really loving our neighbors who would love ourselves, right? Wouldn't you want somebody to come alongside in your joyful times and rejoice with you? Feels good. Rejoice with me. I'm, I had a great day. Oh, that's wonderful. Or what about if they're sad and they've lost a loved one or something else has happened and their, their spirits are down and we come alongside and say, oh, I'm so sorry for you, but boy, I've had a great day. You want to hear about how much fun I've had today? You know, be willing to sacrifice your time and your day for their sake. For their sake. Enter into their world. That's what Paul's telling us to do. Now, we all have different personalities. If you're into Myers-Briggs and the personality inventories, there are 24 different personality types. And that's just one way of looking at it. You're born that way. We don't change. We can improve, but we don't change. Jenny has a very tender heart. Okay, she's got this real sensitivity to other people's feelings. She's got the gift of mercy from God. 
I'm glad I married her because she helps me develop. I'm a little bit on the, the well, maybe I'm on the man side of the house. The what? Oh, I get it, I get it. Maybe I'm a little slower on the uptake. I, I compartmentalize my world. I'm not as aware of some of the stuff going on. Um, but women are, are wonderfully capable of bringing a man into a wider perspective. Would you maybe agree? Not always, but I think generally speaking, I found that to be a real blessing, and I appreciate that very well. But what I want to do is not because I'm a pastor, but I want to be able to engage in people's lives where they're at. When my neighbor is hurting, I want to be there with them. I don't want to avoid them because I want to have a happier day. And when they're pleased, I'm pleased for them. And I'm not jealous or envious or I wish I had, I had a day like that. It's sacrificial. That's what Paul is saying to do here. Engage. One of the... Um, I, I could give you an, an application, but I think there's an application on the Christmas tree. Those little cards, those are foster kids. What kind of life experiences do they have? What happened in their world? Why aren't they with their natural parents? Why are they in the foster care system? What happened? We just picked up a little card for a girl, and she just wants toys to have an imaginary playtime with. And I got to tell you, I do have a big, super deep, soft spot for kids. In fact, when I was in the nursing program at Seattle Pacific University, I didn't want to do pediatrics. And I said to the instructor, I really don't like pediatrics. And their reply was, well, then why are you in the nursing program? And my response was, well, there's lots of other things to do in the nursing field without working with the kids. And it wasn't that I didn't like kids. It just hurt me too much to see kids that were hurt too much. They put me, get this, they put me in the pediatric ICU. <laughs> Thanks, folks. They knew I was interested in the ICU, but now I'm dealing with kids that are really sick and disabled. And their lives are forever going to be transformed and changed by all this stuff. And they didn't even ask. And they didn't do anything to get this to happen. You know, they're just stuck with it. And it hurt my heart. You know? And I, I've just got this little sweet spot that God gave me for the little guys. That's just me. And you might have some sweet, soft spots for other ages or other circumstances. Maybe it's because I was adopted. Maybe that's my soft spot. I don't know. But God put that in me, and, and it's my opportunity then to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The hardest group for me to mourn with are kids because I feel that more than anything else. But I've got to go there when I do and it's a blessing. So again, how do we then mourn and rejoice? Well, we've got to get ourselves out of ourselves. It's not my day that's at stake. It's their day. And in their day and in their way, I'm willing to enter into their world with the love of Jesus. And that makes a friend. They can turn an enemy into a friend because they know you care. And I care. Then lastly, I'll be like-minded with Christ. Like-minded with Christ. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, he's writing to the church in Rome. Roman society was incredibly hierarchical. You had your elite, the very, very, very wealthy. Then you had the very, very, very poor. They had no middle class. You could aspire and do well and do better and climb up the social hierarchy, but the social stratus of status was so fixed and, and accurately maintained that there were actually laws, legal descriptions of what category you were in. For instance, in America, we might say, well, I'm in the upper class or the middle class or the lower class. But it's a little fuzzy, isn't it? Am I still in the middle class? Where's the line? Rome didn't even have those questions. You knew where the lines were. And that affected the church. Because here's all these Roman cultured Christians coming to church, and they all understood status, and they treated themselves in the same way. They had the elites, and they had the not elite, and that was the vast majority, the average person, the poor. And Paul would go on to say in Corinthians and other places, look, when you're together, you're together. Don't, don't fall into that culture trap. But I want to highlight for you just briefly what those classes were. You had the senatorial class. Those were your lifetime politicians. They inherited their status. You had to have a minimum of $2 million worth in today's dollars, $2 million worth of property to your name in order to even begin to enter into that class. But typically you were born into it. You couldn't aspire to it. So it was a very elite senatorial class. And you, didn't, and you were not allowed to work for a living. If you didn't have enough money and you had to work, you couldn't be in the senatorial class. Then there was the equestrian class. That's the economic businessman and woman who could make enough money in their businesses that they could aspire to be in this equestrian class. And you had to have at least a million dollars worth of property in order to qualify to be in this particular class. And you could endeavor to climb into that elite group, but not that many did. And they were usually the wealthiest business owners that did this. Then there were commoners. These were people that were born Roman citizens. Uh, again, they had no middle class. They got by on a daily basis. These were the poor, but they were Roman citizens, and they had privileges that non-Roman citizens had. Like, for instance, you couldn't crucify a Roman citizen. So there were different rules or different class rules there, even on that low-income level. Then there were freed people who gained their freedom from slavery. They could become a commoner with Roman citizenship if they had the money to buy it, and their masters allowed it. That was also part of their hierarchy. And then there were slaves, slaves who were either born that way into the slavery, or they were bought, or they were captured, and then they would have to try and buy their citizenship if they could. All those classes were very delineated and very carefully structured, and you, were, you knew your place. You knew who you were. You knew the status that you had. And can you imagine the church coming together, and it was all lived out like that? So Paul says, forget that. How would Jesus behave with a senator? 
the same way he would do with a slave. He treated everybody the same. Are we not all created in the image of God? Yes. Then we can't let the social structures determine how we interact. When we're in the church, we're one in Christ Jesus. Period. End of story. That's what Paul is saying. So we treat everybody the same, with the same respect, the same honor, and the same love. So here's examples. Living in harmony, Paul says that's a participle. It's an ongoing daily behavior, whether we're in the church or we're out in the world. I remember I met uh, the governor of the state of Washington one time, and he wanted to know where the accordion player was playing at the middle school, and he didn't know where the gymnasium was, and I attended that school. So I was able to talk to uh, Dan Evans at the time and tell him where, to, where he needed to go, and he thanked me very much, and on he went. I felt very shabbily dressed, but at the same time, he treated me like an equal, and I, I felt as a kid that I was respected and honored by this man who didn't say, hey, you urchin, where, you know, he didn't have a highbrow on that. He was just treating me like a human being, and I think that's what we should do, and I felt that. It felt good. No favoritism or self-seeking. We don't want to rub, rub elbows with the rich and famous. We don't want to hang out with people that can do us a favor. We want to treat everybody the same, the same in Jesus Christ. We also don't want to avoid people because we cannot gain something from them. You wonder, well, where's the upside? Where's, where's my favor here? What, is, what good will this do me? Just leave all that out. The church, again, is one in Christ Jesus. We don't want to look down on anybody. We don't want to devalue anyone, right? Again, Jesus treated everybody the same. A renewed mind in Christ means sincere love. In other words, I want to try and personally relate with everybody. When I was younger, I think I did struggle a little bit with those that had a lot of money. Uh, just the other day, Jenny and I were at uh, Bridgeport Mall walking towards the parking garage, and a bright gold Lamborghini turned the corner and went by us. And I've never seen a bright gold Lamborghini in my life. So I... I was curious. Lamborghinis, by the way, were the, my favorite car when I grew up, mostly because it was fast, and I really thought that was cool. So I looked it up on Google, and that car could be worth, theoretically, if it's made of real gold in the materials, $7 million. I just saw $7 million drive by, slowly, creeping over speed bumps. I, and I doubt he parked it and went shopping. You know, I suspect the car went out of the garage. He wanted to show off a little bit, maybe. I don't know, not judging. But he probably put it right back in the garage when he was done. But, you know, I didn't want a $7 million Lamborghini. You know what I'm thinking? A, I'd hate to dent it. B, you can't see anything. You sit about this high off the ground. I got a truck because we like to see where we're going, and I want to look over the guardrails. You know what I mean? I want to see where I'm going. I want to go on a road trip and see the horizon and not just a little bit of marks on the road. Okay, I've also sat in my friend uh, Ken's Sunbeam Dotson. I swear my rear end was two inches off the pavement, and it was a rough ride. And all I could think of was, that looks cool, but no. You know what I mean? So over time, I've come to realize, big deal. Big deal. If somebody has a lot of money, 
Can we rejoice with those who rejoice? But you know what's funny about people that have a lot of money? I met a guy who won the lottery. He was the brother of a minister, and he took me out to his brother's ranch in uh, Washington near Spokane. And I asked him, what was it like to win the lottery? He's now got a ranch. He's got horses. He's got hot tubs. He's got all these things that look so great. His answer was really simple. The good got better and the bad got worse. And he wasn't getting along with his wife at the time. I don't care how much money you have. There are people, people with hearts and lives and feelings. And if they don't know Jesus, they're people who are lost, have no real meaning and purpose and hope. You know, Thanksgiving is an interesting celebration. You can't really be thankful unless you have someone to be thankful to. Who, who can we thank for our food? The one who provided it. It's a great thought. And a lot of the world, they're thankful for family, they're thankful for the food, but they're not thankful to anything that gave them the food. And so it's something we bring to the table that we can apply and share with the world around us. So we don't want to be in harmony with sin. Remember, he says, live in harmony with everybody. But he doesn't mean be harmonious in sin. He just says be harmony, in harmony as a human being with your brothers and sisters in the church and in the wider community as well. Love the sinner, not the sin, as the old saying goes. And then lend a hand where and when you're needed. In joyful times, celebrate. In the mournful times, be there for them very special. And to do this, renew your mind every day to be like-minded like Christ. And at the end of the outline, I just put uh, four little words. I think the way that I think we could go about being more connected with the world around us is, first of all, have some quiet time. We need a renewed mind. We need to have the mind of Christ in order to pull this off, to be living out this blessing and in harmony, to be an enrichment in the world, salt and light, flavorful, right? So for me, a little quiet time is good. Just, just quiet your mind. Say, okay, God, I'm about to read my Bible. I need you to talk to me as I read my Bible. Just spend some quiet time because I get distracted. I assume you get distracted. Stuff's in our head. We want to clear it out. We want a renewed mind. Then read Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I would suggest, because that's about Jesus specifically in so many deeper, richer ways. Read about Jesus. Read how Jesus interacted with the world around him. Read how Jesus dealt with people. He was honest. He was forthright. But the love of God in him was what drove him to do so. With gentleness and respect is our role. So spend some time until God speaks to you. Don't rush. Don't race. Even if it's just a verse, just stop. Let God talk to you. Then in prayer time, listen. Speak. Talk to God. Pray for others. Pray for Gaza and Israel and Ukraine and Yemen and all in North Korea and Russia and China and all, whatever comes to mind. Pray for your immediate family. Pray for your spouses. Pray for your friends. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for their salvation if they don't know Jesus. And listen, I remember the oddest experience I had at Fuller was, let's all bow our heads. Let's have some quiet time with God. Okay. And then I want you to share with everybody at the table what God told you. Okay. I'm open. God's alive. 
So I bowed my head, and everybody else did too. And when it came to my turn, I was going to say nothing happened. Just static, like, you know, nothing was there, nothing, God didn't communicate with me, but there was an image. Remember, those of you that know me for a while know how this story goes. I had an image of a woman with a baby. That was the image that I had in my head. And a woman across the table burst out crying. Her nose was running. Her eyes were just streaming with tears. She could hardly speak. And all I said was I had a vision of a, a woman with her baby. Well, none of us had a Kleenex. We all felt really bad about that. She was a sopping mess and just, just distraught. You know what it was? She'd gotten pregnant when she was younger, and her mother made her get an abortion. She'd never gotten over it, and it was just killing her. And she thought she was on the outs with God. And she just had a meltdown. And we were all able to share the grace and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, reminding her that we all fall short of the glory of God, that there are things in our memories we wished we hadn't said or done, and that the, the love of Jesus fills our hearts and forgives us, and that's God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And we were able to minister to her only because of God, who put an impression on my head that I almost didn't share because I felt stupid, and I had no idea where it was going, and she exploded. And God healed her. Who knows, right? Sometimes just be quiet and let God talk to you. You just never know how that's going to happen. Or sometimes maybe nothing happens that day. But be ready. And then the last thing is apply it. If I hadn't said anything that day, nothing probably would have happened, but I did. I felt silly, but wow, the power of God showed up. And that, that, those wounds found healing that day. And I can't explain it. I don't know that that'll ever happen again, but it happened that time. And I was willing to listen, and I was willing to act. And that's what the world around us needs to hear and see. What does Jesus do? And what they see is what Jesus is doing through you and through me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, it is a tremendous challenge to not get subject to our hurts, to not take an offense. We feel offended. We feel hurt. We can't stop those feelings but, Lord God, we are told again and again what to do with those feelings. We thank you that we can find something good to say about those who persecute us. That there's something in them, Lord God, because you've made them. Nobody is pure evil. Lord God, help us to find that praise. That we can remind ourselves that they're created in your image, that you love them too and that they may even, in fact, need salvation. They need Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you give us the words, the wisdom, the insights, the, oh, the boldness and the courage to get beyond ourselves, beyond our own hurts, to surrender those hurts to you, to share with those that we're near and dear to how maybe they've even hurt us to help them grow. But Lord, most of all, help us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Help us to love our neighbor as you do. Help us to have the mind of Jesus and not the world. 
And Lord, we pray that through this, your Holy Spirit will bring salvation to those who don't know you yet. May the love of Jesus shine in everything we say and everything we do, and let us be humble and gentle and timely. May your Holy Spirit guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't sneak out here while you were praying. <laughs> hey, we're going to sing a song um, we haven't done in a long time. So um, if you don't want to sing along or it's awkward, just really drink in the words because the words are of great application um, and inspiring for what we're to do when we leave this room. So, go. me. 
follow Jesus. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the wonderful sacrificial grace of Jesus and the wonderful blessings, the warmth, the intimacy, the community of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all of God's people could say, Amen. God bless you. And remember, Love, Inc., Thanksgiving offering. If you want to write a check, you can put it in the box probably for the next several weeks. And uh, just so much. Have a great week. Come on down to the Fellowship Hall. Enjoy each other's company. God bless. Thank you.